You know, there's nowhere right now that I'd rather be than right in this room. Anybody else? What do you think? All right. Let's open in prayer and we're going to get to God's word today. Thank you, Lord. God, I just thank you for each person that's here this morning. God, I know that there's not a person in this room today that is here by mistake, by accident, by chance. But God, that you wanted to come and minister and touch and heal and bring uh, revelation, inspiration, God, into people's hearts this morning. So God, today we ask that you would use your word in a special way. God, to give us biblical principles so that we could make good choices, so that, God, we could be led by your Holy Spirit, so that we could accomplish the things, not what we would want to accomplish, but rather what you would want to accomplish with our life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anyone in the room that would consider themselves a professional at making bad decisions? I see that hand, Mike, at the back. Very good. You know, not many would openly admit this, but, uh, you know, I, um, I'm pretty proficient at making bad decisions. Um, in fact, I have made, I've not only made single bad decisions, but I've made strings of bad decisions. I don't know if anyone can relate to that. Uh, I've made bad decisions with money, bad decisions with relationships. I've made bad decisions as a pastor. I've made bad decisions as a father, as a husband. I could probably consider myself very experienced at being a bad decision maker. How about you? Do you continually make bad decisions until you come to the realization like, man, wow, how in the world did I possibly get here? You ever made one of those decisions where you wake up in the morning and maybe it's a string of decisions and all of a sudden you wake up one morning and you go, how in the world did my life get so out of control? I, if I would have wrote the script, it would have been vastly different than where I'm at right now. But all of these things come together because of bad decisions. You see, none of us try and end up in the land of bad decisions. None of us look at our lives and say, Yeah, here we go. I want to be in debt, broken relationships, struggling with addictions, crabby, lost, you know, futureless, whatever. None of us sit there and go, yeah, that's the plan for my life. That's what I'm really shooting for. That's not chosen as a destination. But why do we end up in those places then in life? Some people say luck. Some people say chance. A lot of people will play the God card. But really, where you're at right now in life has a lot to do with the choices that you have made when you are standing at the why. This morning, we have strategically made our, our sanctuary chairs into a why today. Standing at the why. This is where we stand a lot of times, and where we make the decision right here is where it ends up taking us to an ultimate destination. And a lot of times in our life, oh man, there we go. Thanks guys, that was really cool. Uh, A lot of times we stand at this Y and we end up way down this road and we look back and we go, how in the world did I get there? But actually it was a series of Ys in our life where we chose to make certain decisions that led us down a certain path. You see, the decisions that we make are not really about where we're at, but rather about where we're going. 
You see, the paths in your life that you're going to take each day and the choices that you make are not just about the choices that you make in that moment. And a lot of times we make the choices in that moment thinking that it's just going to be for this moment. It's just going to be for this connected, uh, or it's not connected, it's a disconnected choice that I'm making in this moment. But the reality of it is, is the choice that we make is actually taking us somewhere. It's not really about where we're at, but it's actually where we're going. Where you are in life is determined by the decisions that you make at the why. So this morning, we're going to be talking about the why. In fact, we're beginning a series for the next three weeks entitled Standing at the Why. Standing at the Why. And I don't know how many people in this room where you, right today, maybe you're standing at a big why in your life. Maybe you're standing at, at some big choices that are going to make some big decisions in your life. I don't know. But all I know is this, is that at the decision point, the things, the choices that we make at the why determine where we're going, not just where we're at. So the decisions you make each day are truly not about where you are, but really, they're about where you're going. This morning, I want to look at a, at a great passage of Scripture from the life of David. And it's going to really define this pathway that we're talking about, the why. It's going to really define it really well. And David has to make momentary decisions in this, in this short why period about his, that are going to affect his future greatly. And how David navigates this why in his life can give us some great principles as Christians on how to navigate those whys in our life. So this morning, if you take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24. 1 Samuel chapter 24. Starting at verse 1. Before we jump into this, I need to explain to you kind of what's going on in this Old Testament account in this moment. You see, what led up to this point was really David is not king yet. In fact, it's the period between David being, uh, killing Goliath, where, we're all, where we all know where that is, and actually David becoming king. There's this, there's this window. And David here, after killing Goliath, this is how it all starts. David is coming into town and everyone's cheering because David killed the unkillable guy. Goliath, the giant, no one could beat him. Saul was afraid in his tent. He wouldn't go fight him. And David kills the giant. They come into the city and the people begin to sing, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And as they're singing this song, Saul begins to get in his heart that he really doesn't like David. In fact, he considers David a threat to his throne and to his kingdom. In that moment, David is put in a place where he is in a place of honor, but actually the king tries to kill him. The king tries to kill him quite a few times. In fact, what happens here is that David is playing his harp for Saul one time in the, in the palace, and Saul takes a spear and tries to run him through and kill him. 
And so ultimately what happens over time, David becomes this mighty warrior in the kingdom and he defeats all of the enemies and he's doing a great job as, as kind of first in command over all the armies. But Saul is very jealous of David and in fact, he wants to begin to kill him so much so that David actually leaves his post and begins to flee and hide out throughout the country. Saul then begins to chase him around the country trying to find him and kill him, execute him. What happens is Saul would go off to war and he would fight the Philistines, fight the bad guys, and then he would come back home, he would grab a meal, and he'd say to someone in his, in his throne there, or in his uh, throne room, or in his palace, he would say, listen, where's the last place they found David, or anyone seen David? So someone would tell him, and he'd go, okay, eats his food, he says, okay, everybody, we're going to sleep in the palace one night, and we're going to go out, we're going to find David, and that's where, and we're going to kill him. So that's where our story is right here. It starts in 1 Samuel chapter 24, and it it reads this way, 1 Samuel 24, 1 and 2. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of the En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So Saul gets some insider information here about where David is at. He rounds up not just three or not just 30 or not just 300 of the best guys in, the, in his troops, but he rounds up 3,000 of the best men, knowing that David has surrounded himself with this group of kind of vagabonds, this group of men that were kind of rebels and ruffians, but not very many men. And he takes 300 to kind of um, try and extinguish this problem that he has. At the pla- verse 3, it goes on to read this way. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in the cave! Exclamation point. So in search of David, the king finds him accidentally. In fact, it couldn't have been more perfect plan choreographed. What happens here is... The king dismounts off his donkey because he has to go to the bathroom, runs into one of the nearest shelters because there's no green porta potties on the well site. Okay, so so he has to run across the field and he goes, Wait a minute, party stop, everyone take a break. Runs into the cave to go to the bathroom. And when he's in there, his, as he walks into the darkness, his eyes haven't adjusted yet. And as he walks into the darkness, David and his men are in the back of the cave, their eyes already adjusted to the darkness. And they're all sitting there hiding, probably looking and watching out, saying, oh, there's people coming. We need to be careful. Be very quiet. And all of a sudden, someone walks into the cave and they go, shh, shh, shh. Who is it? One of, the, one of the men whispers to David, 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 do you know who that is? It's King Saul. He's alone, unguarded, unmanned, probably no sword. He wasn't going in to fight. He had other business to do. So he goes into the cave and all of the men are going, oh. David, this is it. This is the moment. And in verse 4, it even says what they say to David. In verse 4, it says, Now's your opportunity, David men's whisper to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward 
and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. David has the opportunity of a lifetime. This is David's moment in the sun. The stars could not have aligned more perfectly in this moment. The man that has been chasing him around mercilessly has tried to kill him so many times. And David is sitting in the cave, fully armed, outmanned the king, one-on-one, and he's caught in an awkward position. So David, his arch enemy, is delivered right to him within striking distance. This is just a logical plan. This is a God thing, right? We're all reading this story going, only God could line up things like this. So Saul is a bad king. Let's get rid of him. It has to be God. One thrust of the sword. So David creeps forward, and rather than cutting off his head, cuts off a corner of his robe. Verse 5. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. <laughs> Isn't that a change of events? I mean, we're all reading the story, and if you hadn't read this story beforehand, you would think in this moment that this is a God idea. You would think to yourself, oh man, this is a bad king, David's in there, all of these things, and then David is actually remorseful for slicing a little piece off of the king's robe. He comes to realize in that moment of cutting the robe that God had chosen Saul, and David would be stepping into God's plan and rushing things. He knew that killing the king was wrong. That there was no way of thinking around it. That that he was king until God chose him not to be king. And David knew that by taking it into his own hands, he was in a slippery position. On a slippery slope. But really, verse 7 shows us where David's heart truly is. Verse 7 says, so David restrained his men. David restrained his men. You see, as all of these guys sat in the cave for that moment, I think that there was probably times where they were all sitting there going, listen, this is your moment of destiny, David. This is it. And then when David couldn't do it, one of the men leaned over to him and said, David, listen, close your eyes, turn the other way, and in five seconds it'll be done. His blood is on my hands. But what does David do? He restrains them. He says, no one will touch the king. You'll have to go through me to kill him. Talk about noble. Standing here. This is the perfect storm. After Saul, finishing verse 7, it says, David restrained his men. But after Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, my lord, the king... When Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true, for the Lord had placed you at my mercy there in the cave. And some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. 
For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hands. It is a piece of the hem of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I am not trying to harm you, that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As the old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure that I will never harm you. David said, listen, I'm going to choose to follow God and do what is right regardless of the situation that is before me. I'm going to choose to take the high road and continue, though you try and destroy me, Saul. I am going to choose to be the man of God that you have called me to be God, regardless of the situation. You see, that's part of the problem with our American Christianity, is there are a lot of people that go to church on Sunday mornings, and a lot of people that say, yes, I'm a Christian, but their ethics are very situational, that if things come just the right pattern or just the right way, they'll say, listen, I don't lie, I don't lie, I don't lie, I don't lie, I don't lie. And then the perfect storm happens, and what do they do? I don't steal, 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 I don't steal. And then the perfect storm happens. You see, David here says, regardless of whatever happens in this life, I will choose to honor and obey God first and foremost. And that is what I will choose as I stand at the Y. So David asks himself kind of, I think that I can decipher from this story, I think there's two main questions that helped David as he stood at this why in this moment. There are two main questions that he used to decipher how he was going to make this decision. And the two questions are this. Number one is how does this decision affect my relationship with God? David says, how does this decision affect my relationship with God? And the second question that David asks is, how does this decision affect my future? How does this decision affect my future? So David comes to the realization that if he were to kill Saul, how does this decision affect my relationship with God? David realized that in that moment, if he were to go against God's will, he would be in direct opposition to what God's plan and purpose for his life was. He would actually be going in his own direction and rather than God's. He knew God's word. He knew that the king was God's man who was anointed by God and put in place for the time that he was put in place. And he knew that he was going in a direction opposite God if he were to kill this man sitting in the cave. He also protected the the king in the cave in that moment because he knew this truth. David knew that God would not be honored by that decision. He knew that that would strain his relationship with God. He knew that it was wrong and what the Bible called sin regardless of the situation that set it up. He stood at the Y and asked, how does this decision affect my relationship with God? The second question is a little more dicey. Second question I think that he thinks about here in this moment is, how does this affect my future? 
You see, this one's difficult because David had a future. Do you guys remember the story? There was a man who came, the prophet of Israel, he came to the house of Jesse, and he told Jesse, I want you to line up all of your sons because I have a special assignment from God, and he brought this big flask of oil, and in that moment, he called all of these men, and the first boy, the young boy that he sees, or the first young man that he sees, Samuel says, this has got to be him, the next king of Israel. He's wonderful, he's strong, he's handsome, he looks like a king. But God says, he's not him, it's not him. And he goes down the line, he goes, it's not him, 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 it's not him. He gets to the end of the line, he goes, it's not him either. He goes to Jesse, he says, Jesse, where, where, do you have any more sons? Jesse kind of goes, well, we got one more, but I was thinking, he's probably not eligible. Well, I need you to go get him. Well, he's out in the field, he's tending the sheep right now, I need you to go get him. So this young man, this little boy, comes walking up. His name is David. Saul comes, or Samuel comes to him, and he pours oil on his head, and he says, one day you will be the king of Israel. See, guys, that's what made the why so difficult in this moment. Is David sat in the cave remembering the moment that he was told, you will one day be king. This is it. This is your moment. But David understood that how this was going to affect his future. He also knew that if he were to kill the king in this moment, and he were to become the king by killing the king, then he better have eyes in the back of his head. Because from that moment on, people would understand the way that you become king is you kill the king. And David would be the most hunted man in the land. The second one had to do with David's legacy, I think. As David would tell this story to his grandchildren, he didn't want them running up to him and say, David, David, Grandpa David, Grandpa David, tell us the story again how you killed the king when he was sitting on the potty. (laughs) You know, that's really funny. But you know what? There are some of us that we have made the same decisions as we stood at this why that we're not very proud of. That if our kids came up to us or our grandchildren would come up to us and they would say, listen, tell me the story about when you went, da, 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 da. We would probably hang our head in shame just the same. You see, guys, the decisions that we make here at the why are not about where we're at. They're about where we're going. And the decision that David made in the cave that day was not about the cave. It was about the legacy that he was leaving behind. It was about the legacy that he was going to live out the rest of his life from the moment at the Y. So how do we take this and and begin to unwrap this? Every decision at the Y is not really about where you're at, but rather about where you're going. How do we unwrap this personally and apply it to our lives personally? So let's take the questions that David asked as he sat in the cave to himself, and why don't we take those and begin to apply them to our own lives? Each day, each of us are confronted with situations where we stand at the why, where we stand at a moment where we're confronted with situations where will we choose the plan that God has for our life, or will we deviate from that and go and do something else? And when we're confronted, how do we navigate those whys in our lives? 
You see, guys, we only think about the why as really big moments. A lot of times we think of the why's like David's thought here is, this is my chance of being king. A lot of us say, well, I stand at the why. Maybe a why for you might be, you know what, my, my coworker tipped me over the edge the other day. I stand at the why. I'm going to punch the guy out and probably lose my job. Maybe you might say, well, you know what, my, my standing at the why is probably like, should I, um, should I forego my wedding vows and begin to enter a, an illicit relationship or a, or a relationship outside of marriage and, and go against my wedding vows? Many people sit and say, okay, the why is about this huge decision that I make in, the li- in my life. But listen, the why is, is simpler than that. The why is about decisions you make every day that lead you down a certain path. You see, guys, if I were to take an example, and I want to stay very general this Sunday, but we're going to get into specifics as we move through this series. But very general, a lot of times people think we get to the big why when we're at this moment where we're going to punch our, our coworker out or we're going to step into an, a relationship outside of marriage or something like that, and we think that that is the why. But the reality of it is, is we have gone down this path of making decisions that get us all the way to that point. We've already made a lot of decisions that have got us to that point. And what we're talking about is that the decisions that we make where one morning we wake up and go, how in the world did I end up here? How did I end up on this path right now? I never planned for this to turn out this way. This was not my intention to end up where I'm at right now. I think Andy Stanley put it best. He said, direction, not intention, determines destination. Direction, not intention. Because none of us had an intention to do these things. None of us intentionally ended up to that place where we go, why am I here? None of us intentionally went down. We kind of say, how did I end up this place? But direction of our life, not intention, determines destination. You see, our lives end up in a way or where they are by the choices that we make at the why. So the first question that David asked was this. He said, how is this decision, how does this decision affect my relationship with God? But maybe the easier question that we could ask is because God has given us this entire book here that we can navigate our lives from. Maybe the better decision that we could ask or the better question that we could make at the why is what does God's word say about this decision right here? What does God's word tell me about the decision as I stand at the why? And you know what? Maybe that's the reason why it's so vital that we know God's word. I've hidden God's word in my heart that I might not sin against him. I've hid- Let me paraphrase it for you. I've hidden God's word in my heart so I might not make the bad decisions at the why. Right? So I might not go with my flesh and just follow it and have it lead me wherever I want. See, a good question to ask, not only that David asked was, how's this going to affect my relationship with God? But David didn't have all of this. But we do. And we have the opportunity not only to look to God's word, but maybe, you know what, you might be so new in your faith, or maybe you're just checking things out. You just said, you know what, I heard, I heard about this church. I'm going to go check it out. And you have no understanding of Christianity in any way, shape, or form. That's okay. We're glad you're here. But here's the thing. To navigate your life correctly, according to God's word here, helps us to navigate these whys that we stand. And if you don't know God's word, 
then maybe you should find someone who does. Maybe you're having a difficulty with a situation, and I've had this a lot of times, even as a pastor. I'll say, you know what, I'm trying to navigate a why. This is very difficult. I'm not really sure what to do in this situation. So I go and find someone who will pray with me, who will give me uh, godly counsel in that moment of why. That's very important. So what does God's word say about this decision? The second question that David asked in the cave was, how is this going to affect my future? And I think that we could probably ask that question, but this is an even more pointed question, I think, that would be really good. Is this going to end in regret? Is the decision that I make right now in this moment going to end in regret? Because then we're not focusing on the actual decision, but we're focusing on the destination instead. We're looking at it and saying, listen, it's not about right here. It's not about just this moment. It's the fact that this decision is taking me somewhere. It's leading me somewhere. Am I going to give this decision, this little decision today, enough power to control my future? So, could this end in regret? Now, I'm going to share something with you guys about the why that is absolutely brutally honest. And if you can catch this understanding, it will help you massively to navigate the why. But you know what? For some of you, this is going to offend you. It'll probably hurt you. But you have to understand this concept about the why. You see, when you stand at the why, we make decisions for one reason and one reason only, standing right here. We make decisions for one reason and one reason only, and this is the reason we make the decisions. Will this make me happy? That's the truth. I'm not sure if people can handle that or not. That's why we make these decisions standing right here. Will it make me happy? I'll give you an example. In my own life. For the last three years or so, I have consistently gained weight. Stop laughing. I only heard Pastor Chad snickering over here. For the last three years, I've consistently gained weight. In fact, I've probably gained about 10 pounds a year. Whoa, that's a pretty good average, but if I keep that up, that's, whoa, that's bad. So for the last three years or so, I've gained about 10 pounds uh, a year, and the reason, you know, why this was happening in my life, the reason why I got to this place was because, um, well, I could give you all the reasons why I gained weight for the last three years. You know, I'm really busy. I have a difficult schedule. You know, I sit around a lot uh, rather than being very active like I have been in the past. My metabolism, I'm getting older. My metabolism is slowing down. And, you know, I could try and convince you of all of these things, but you know why I gained 30 pounds over the last three years? Somebody tell me. No, well, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Stop, stop, stop. We're, we're deviating from the path here. We're going down the wrong. Because it made me happy. Right? Because it made me happy. And you see, what was happening was, I didn't eat, I didn't eat the, the, the donut, the maple donut, because I was hungry. I didn't eat the second uh, portion of roast because I was hungry. I didn't, eat, all of, I didn't you know, eat that piece of pie, or half the pie for that matter, because I was hungry. I ate them because they made me happy. 
And there's some people smiling going, yeah, I know what you're talking about, Pastor Sheldon. You know what? There were times when I would eat until I was gluttonously miserable. My pants would be too tight. I would sleep with indigestion. But, oh, I was happy. (laughs) But you know what? There was one question that I wasn't asking myself as that lonely maple donut stared longingly at me from the bottom of the box. The question I wasn't asking myself was, could this end in regret? You know what? It could. It very well could. Uh, it could affect my long-range health. If I continue down this path, it could end a disease, heart, heart condition, uh, even cutting my life short, and it could end very much so in regret. But do you want to know a secret? I decided a couple weeks ago that I was going to lose weight. And this is really great. Because I said, you know what? Uh, I'm going to begin to lose weight. And so I started watching what I was eating and I was doing all of these things. And, and um, you know what? I lost 10 pounds. I lost 10 pounds in two weeks. But do you know what? Do you know why I started losing weight? It wasn't because I thought that I would regret it. In fact, I lost weight for the exact same reason that I gained weight. Because it made me happy. Because when I would look down at the scale, I would see the numbers going down and it would make me happy. And then my wife would say, Pastor, her, not Pastor Sheldon, she just said Sheldon. <laughs> Sheldon, hey, why don't you turn sideways there? You're kind of looking a little bit thin. It made me happy. And so I would, I would put on a shirt that didn't quite fit right before for some unknown reason. It had shrunk. But now it had grown. And it made me happy. Isn't that interesting that the exact two decisions that I would make were for the identical reason? It was because it made me happy. And we're going to tie up here. Just hang with me. So happiness drives me at the why. And that's a problem. If happiness drives you at the why, you're going to make bad decisions. If happiness is the ultimate thing that you are searching for at the why... You're going to forget about where things are taking you and you're going to only focus on individual situations and it's going to hurt you in the long run. Because the why has nothing to do with happiness. It has everything to do with where you're going. You see, guys, maybe you have ended up on paths of regret But if we could come to the place in our lives where we extract the emotion out of our decisions and instead look to God's word for our direction and then from there consider where is this destiny or where is this why headed? Where is this going? 
If we could somehow extract the emotion of this is going to make me happy, if we could extract that emotion out of the why, at that moment we could make good decisions by saying, how, what does God's word tell me about this decision and am I going to regret this decision down the road? Because the decision is not about where we're at, it's about where we're going. It's about where we're going. You see, we've all ended down paths. We've all gone down paths that we regret. All of us probably in this room in some way, shape, or form have experienced broken relationships. Many people in this room have experienced addiction. Many people have struggled massively with unforgiveness in their life. Many people have meandered down the path of debt to the place where they just see no end in sight. I'm guessing that many of us each day stand at the Y and make many decisions out of will this make me happy rather than asking where does God want me to go? What kind of decisions line up with God's word? And where is the destination at the end of this decision? Guys, I'm not sure where you're at today. You know what? Maybe some of you in this room right now, in this moment, you could say, Pastor Sheldon, I could stand up there and preach this message better than you. Do you know why? Because you have made massive, terrible decisions at the why. You could say, Pastor Sheldon, I've lived my life, I look back at it, and I've lived a complete life of regret for the decisions that I've made. You know what? You probably could preach this message better than me. There's some people that you're in this room right now and you're absolutely hopeless after hearing this message because you've said, you know what? My life has been full of bad decisions. I live with regret all of my life. I want to tell you something that's very exciting. It's the fact that God has given you another opportunity to stand at the Y and it's called today. By the grace of God, your life has not led you to the end of that path when one day you'll breathe your last breath and you'll stand before Almighty God. And in that moment... There are no more whys. There are no more choices. There are no more decisions. At that moment, eternity begins, and there's one why in that moment. It's depart from me, I never knew you, or well done, my good and faithful servant. That's the last why. But fortunately for every person in this room, if you've made bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, I want you to understand there is still hope in this life. There is still opportunity for you to stand at the Y and make great decisions navigated by God's word and by how those decisions will. Some of you will be able to make up for things that you have wronged. You'll be able to backtrack onto paths. You'll be able to correct your course of your life. You'll be able to change radically after today. You have the choice each day standing at the Y. By the grace of God, you have another breath to stand at the Y again and make the great choices that God has for your life. So what are you going to do this week? What are the choices that you make each day? Will you navigate through God's word and where your direction and destination is going to be? Because of the decision that you make at the Y, they are not about where you're at. They are rather about where you're going. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to look to your word, to be able to navigate our lives. And I pray, God, from this moment forward, there are many people in this room today, God, that will make a choice
They are standing at a why in this moment, whether to serve you wholeheartedly, whether to use your word to navigate their lives, rather than use happiness to navigate it. So God, I'm praying by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would go with each person in this room, that we would navigate our lives correctly with your word, with your spirit, and ultimately with the destination in mind of where we want to go. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. And everyone who agrees, say amen. Lord bless you guys. Have a great week.